This is People Every Day. Coming up, inside the child pornography trial against former 19 Kids and Counting star Josh Duggar that's taking place now in Arkansas. Plus, Meghan Markle wins big in court again. And Rita Moreno shares a blast from the past kiss and tell story that has the internet all shook up. It's December 2nd. Hello, hello, hello. This is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. It is my favorite weekday, Thursday, and thus I want to kick off with a headline that has major throwback vibes. Actress Rita Moreno went on The View yesterday and did a little belated kiss and tell. The 89-year-old star shared that she dated Elvis Presley several times back in the day in order to get back at her cheating ex, Marlon Brando. I found lingerie in his house, and, uh, of course, I was heartbroken, and I went home in tears, and, you know, really, I was naive. And uh, the very next day, and I was angry, too, just furious. And the next day, the phone rings, and I say, hello, and I hear a voice say, Ms. Marina? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, this is Colonel Parker. Uh, my client is Elvis Presley. And that day, she decided to agree to go out with Elvis out of spite. But she also shared her hot take on the Memphis star. Take a listen to that. He was sweet but boring. Man, I love a candid celebrity gab session. Thank you, Rita. Truly. Well, one person who isn't an open book about his relationship is Ben Affleck. He talked to Wall Street Journal magazine recently, but held back when it came to his new old love, Jennifer Lopez. He did say, I've had a lot of second chances in my life wink, wink, and that he feels, quote, very lucky these days. But when it came to going deeper, it wasn't happening. He said, one of the harder lessons I've had to learn is that it's not wise to share everything with the world. And that despite how happy he is, he's exercising a little restraint when it comes to, you know, gushing about his girl, J-Lo. Well, one of the women we are all gushing about here at People is Miss Simone Biles. She is one of our 2021 People of the Year. Go grab that cover on stands this week, if you haven't already. She opened up to us about how she felt stepping away from four out of five event finals at the Tokyo Olympics due to the twisties. She said, quote, that's probably one of the first times in my career where I felt courageous and I felt like I had got to speak up for myself. Wow. There's just such a powerful message in that. And there's more. Take a listen. Whenever I got home, I was like, really sad about it. But then on the flip side, I was like, you know how many people I helped by speaking out and teaching them that they need to speak up for themselves and just kind of going through that um, road together and putting mental health at the forefront. I just love her. And then one other talented young person I just love, Sean Mendez. <laughs> None of my friends understand my obsession with his music at my 30 plus years of age, but I don't care. Moms for Mendez. Anyway, the newly single star just dropped a new song called It'll Be Okay. And this comes exactly two weeks after his split from girlfriend of two years, Camila Cabello. It's a breakup ballad, but of course, and has the lines, the future we dreamed of is fading to black and also we don't have to stay i will love you either way oh sean it'll be okay (laughs) okay now it's time to talk royals 
Meghan Markle, man, Duchess of Sussex, is making headlines again. This time she's celebrating a victory. Again, we've talked about this, but the Duchess has been in a legal battle with the publishers of the Mail on Sunday tabloid for almost three years. This was a privacy and copyright infringement case regarding a confidential letter Meghan wrote to her father three months after her wedding to Prince Harry back in August 2018. There have been so many twists and turns with this case. I can barely keep it all straight. So that's why I've asked people's Aaron Hill to fill us in. Hi, Aaron. Hi. For those who don't know, Aaron, can you give us a brief timeline from August 2018 until now? What was this letter in question and how did we get to today? Yeah, so this does go back three years now. Um, right after Megan's wedding to Harry, she wrote a letter to her father. Um, the Mail on Sunday then got their hands on this letter and published uh, excerpts of it. And then Megan went and uh, attempted to sue them for copyright infringement and um, saying this was a violation of her privacy. So the court case has gone back and forth over the past couple years. She's had a lot of wins throughout, um, some setbacks here and there, but finally in the end, here we are, and she won the privacy claim. Wow. So if the Associated Newspaper the publishers, like you said, appealed the original case from February, which, again, ruled in favor of Megan. You'd think they'd have additional information to bring to court. So did anything new come to light this time around? You no, know, they did. They had a new statement um, from Megan and Harry's former communication secretary, along with some text messages and emails that were back and forth between him and Megan. And through these texts, it became clear that Megan had written this letter knowing that there was a possibility that her father, Thomas Merkel, could leak this to the press because he had been known to do that. And so she, in these messages, she alludes to writing it in such a way that, you know, if it was leaked by the press, you know, she numbered certain pages, um, she included certain phrasing with the intention of knowing it could be leaked. Um, she claims that she forgot about those communications back and forth. And while the court said that's unfortunate, they don't think that that is a reason to overturn their original ruling from February. Well, let's talk about this victory for Megan. In a statement, she said, this is a victory not just for me, but for anyone who has ever felt scared to stand up for what's right. Yeah, and this is a really powerful statement coming from her, right? It's just overarching. And anything they do, they try to try to say, like, how does this benefit others as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of their work lately, Harry and Meghan, have been about stopping misinformation from spreading. And, and what she's also going um, to get is a substantial financial um, win in terms of damages from the newspaper group. Mm. And then also um, a public apology printed on the homepage um, of the mail Online and on the front page of the, the print uh, wow. mail on Sunday. So what does the victory mean for, you know, the mail on Sunday going forward? Like, how do you think this plays out in their offices? You know, be remains to be seen, but I think in the past we, you know, they, they have faced similar um, court cases to this and, you know, whether not much has changed so much Mm, (laughs) mm -hmm. from that, but we have also heard there's potential that they may want to strike again and go back and see if they can appeal this in in another way, take it to um, the Supreme Court, which which is doubtful that they'll have any luck on that end, but Mm. they could still try to drag this out further. But it really, we spoke to some legal professionals who just seem to think that there would be no success with that. 
Yeah. All right. Well, just one other thing that Megan said that I found really fascinating is that from day one, she said, from day one, I have treated this lawsuit as an important measure of right versus wrong. The defendant has treated it as a game with no rules. The longer they dragged it out, the more they could twist facts and manipulate the public, even during the appeal itself, making a straightforward case extraordinarily convoluted in order to generate more headlines and sell more newspapers, a model that rewards chaos over truth. So what she saying here is is pretty poignant. Her lawsuit against them was almost beneficial in their industry, right? So this, it was kind of self-fulfilling. Absolutely. And she's she even went so far to say, is it tomorrow it could be you? And that these practices don't happen once in a blue moon, that they're, they're daily and they're dividing us um, and that we all deserve better. Absolutely. Well, Erin, thanks so much for, for going back into this story and breaking it down even more. Yeah. Next up, People Politics editor Adam Carlson is on the ground in Arkansas, covering the child pornography trial of former 19 Kids and Counting star Josh Duggar. And Adam's here to take us into what's happening in that courtroom. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Back now with People's Adam Carlson, who's in Arkansas covering the trial of former 19 Kids and Counting star Josh Duggar. Duggar, you'll recall, was arrested by U.S. Marshals back in April as part of a wide-ranging federal investigation into the sexual abuse and exploitation of minors. Since then, he's pleaded not guilty to charges that he received and possessed child pornography and was released on bail to the home he shares with his wife and seven children. A warning, this segment might be upsetting to victims of sexual abuse and their families. Adam, thank you for making the time. You're actually on lunch break right now. So can you bring us up to speed? Yeah, no. So thank you. Um, We're in day three now of some really, really intense evidence and witnesses and argument. Uh, Where we are right now, jury selection finished on Tuesday in this trial. After a kind of marathon session, they ended up seating a jury of uh, 12 people and four alternates. One of the jurors was later dismissed for a medical issue. And then we began in earnest with opening arguments on Wednesday, and the trial is expected to go through the middle of next week. The main themes so far in both cases, the prosecution says that uh, not only did Josh have a history as a, as a teenager of fondling underage girls, but that as an adult, he took sophisticated steps to hide the child porn that he was viewing and possessing on his work computer separate from his personal devices and that there is a bunch of circumstantial evidence from his other devices that tie him essentially to his work computer at his used car lot in uh, in Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, in 2019 when this child porn is, is viewed. The defense separately argues that the police railroaded Josh. Essentially, they focused on him as soon as they realized who he was and were too sloppy in pursuing other leads. So they have suggested and, and are likely to continue to suggest that other people who were on the car lot, who either worked for Josh or had access to the office, could have done this. They say that it's even possible that someone was remotely using 
um, his machine to view this. The biggest elephant in the room, I guess, was whether or not the jury could hear testimony from witnesses about Duggar's predatory behavior when he was a minor. Jim Bob Duggar told police in Arkansas that Duggar has molested five underage girls between 2002 and 2003, back when he was a teenager. And we covered this, of course, exhaustively at the magazine. I was on the TV team when we were working on that. And and the family says Duggar sought religious counseling for his behavior at the time. And when news broke in 2015, Duggar resigned from his position at the Family Research Council and told people, quote, as a young teenager, I acted inexcusably, for which I am extremely sorry and deeply regret. I hurt others, including my family and close friends. I would do anything to go back to those teen years and take different actions. So, Adam, where did this land? Has a jury heard about his past behavior? Well, not yet, but is that at play. That's coming. We we suspect a jury hasn't yet heard it, like you said. Um, but a judge has ruled that it's admissible. This was the last fight in kind of the pretrial phase that wrapped up on Monday before jury selection. Josh's dad, Jim Bob Duggar, the patriarch, testified, ad, as did Bobby Holt, who was a longtime family friend. Her husband, Jim Holt, was an elder in um, the, the small church the Duggars were a member of. And it was an evidentiary hearing on Monday to determine the appropriateness of Josh's history as uh, a boy and as a teenager. And so the judge uh, over uh, disagreed with the defense's argument that Josh made these admissions about his behavior in the context of spiritual counseling. And you mentioned it as well, and it was really key here, this idea that when this all played out in 2003, uh, Josh was admitting it in the context of his family and in the context of um, the Holtz. And uh, the defense tried to say this was in the context of the church community, uh, should be religious privilege that protects it. But the judge disagreed. The judge was also not persuaded by Jim Bob's testimony on Monday. He was a very unwilling witness. He'd been subpoenaed. Um, he was very vague. The judge found him contradictory and self-serving. And so the judge agreed that, yes, the, the prosecution should be able to discuss um, this past history. Uh, and, and they say it goes to show propensity. What have we heard, you know, from his family? You you bring up Jim Bob there. Um, I know Amy Duggar, who the family painted as kind of a resident bad girl, has spoken out on it. So what did she say? And who else have we heard from? So you know, Amy um, put out a brief statement on social media um, earlier this week and, and said it was a heavy day for her. This was as jury selection was was wrapping up. And she said, quote, you know, this whole week will be, and next week will be too, until justice is served. Um, and then she kind of invoked her religion, you know, quote, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay thee. And then she wrote, please pray for the victims and for the truth to be revealed. Pray that the judge will give the ultimate sentence. Uh, that is probably the um, harshest mm-hmm. we've heard from anyone in the family. And, and you know even better than me, this is a big family, so I'm sure they're are a lot of opinions. We don't necessarily have a peek into how everyone feels. Yeah. I mean, that was, I I wrote our cover story with her back when a lot of this broke. It was called the Rebel Duggar because she, you know, just kind of speaks her mind. And she has said that, um, you know, in her personal experience, she's been to their house. She's the cousin um, and she's been around all of them a lot. Um, she didn't have any interactions really of of that sort with him, but she said she didn't feel comfortable um, around him of all of her cousins. And she has a lot. There's 19 kids and counting. But um, she did point that out. And so I think you can read into what she's saying. Um, but let's talk about 
about this family um, just really quickly before I lose you. I know you're busy and you got to head back into court. Um, you're covering them now. And I flew down to Arkansas years ago um, to cover them. Uh, the girls didn't wear jeans. They didn't dye their hair. No secular music. So where is the family now? I saw that there was a hair change <laughs> in the family recently. What are they like now? And, and readers who are interested can learn more in our recent cover story about the Duggar family. I mean, there's certainly been a kind of fracturing of them or kind of unraveling of the larger family. They aren't all necessarily on the same page. Um, Jill uh, Duggar Dillard, for example, and her, her husband Derek um, have kind of distanced themselves from the family. They have different views. Jill was the one you just mentioned who just had a big um, hair dye moment. She went blonde for the first time. It's a silly moment, but uh, in a serious context, she's actually expected to testify. Uh, mm. Her husband, Derek, has been in court for several days this week. Um, he's been sitting with Anna and um, with some other relatives and supporters. The the mood with them, um, even despite that, uh, and there's been some really tough evidence, some really hard testimony at the trial. The mood has been amicable. Uh, I had an image in my head of a family um, really under strain. And uh, for whatever reason, they seem to still be very connected. Yeah. Derek and Anna were talking. There was some laughter. You know, they're making their way, I guess, um, in yeah. this, you know, as observers to Josh's trial. That was People Politics editor Adam Carlson. For more on this story, head over to people.com. And so, guys, happy Hanukkah to all who are celebrating. There is a podcast I want to tell you guys about called Unorthodox. It's the world's leading Jewish podcast. But you don't have to be Jewish to love it. Hosted by Mark Oppenheimer, Stephanie Butnick, and Lyle Leibowitz of Tablet Magazine, each episode brings you interesting guests, news of the Jews, and so much more. So you can tune into that wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, something to make you smile. There have been countless standout moments on America's favorite quiz show, Jeopardy! And this week, a new one was added to the history books. Amy Schneider is the first transgender contestant to qualify for the Tournament of Champions. The engineering manager from Oakland, California, is an 11-day Jeopardy! champion with a jackpot that now stands at $421,200. Her love for the show began 35 years ago and was influenced by her mom, who was a college professor. So here's what she said about her success on the show so far. I'm not going to pretend I didn't think I could do good, but this has just been so much better than I, than I thought I would do. And she says that she is relaxed going into the next phase of the competition. So speaking as hands down the worst woman at time trivia games, I am in awe. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs> 